0: Hello and welcome to the Highly Spirited Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie McNew. I love all things boozy and boozy. So this is a show where I bring you some spirit or cocktail history and a ghost or folklore or something supernatural-esque story. So let's get ready to get lit and get scared. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 13. Lucky, lucky, I guess. (laughs) So my husband and I visited Chicago in June And I immediately knew I wanted to do a haunted Chicago episode. It's so great. We just went to a Cubs game. He's a huge man, not necessarily me, but I had a blast at Wrigley field. We didn't get a chance to do a walking ghost tour this time, but I did get to do one a few years ago and Chicago has an amazing, somewhat spooky history. And we did get a chance to take an architecture boat tour, though, which I highly recommend. So if you're in Chicago, get on the boat tours down the river. And we visited a medieval torture museum, which I had so much fun at. I know that's weird. I had an absolute blast at that torture museum. So to do a show about Chicago ghosts, I had to find a Chicago cocktail to tie it all in, right? And that was kind of easier said than done. (laughs) The first thing that came to mind was the Chicago handshake that was on the menu at the Billy Goat Tavern. It's just like a Jaeger bomb, but worse. It's like for if you hate yourself, Um, it's a shot of Malor dropped into an old style beer. Absolutely no thanks. Definitely pass that one up. (laughs) But the Billy Goat Tavern, amazing. Check that out if you're in Chicago. Like It's a little divey, but they had the best cheeseburger I've ever eaten. And I ordered a double of Makers and dude really served me a triple. So 1010 recommend checking out the Billy Goat if you're in town. So I wouldn't do you guys dirty with a Chicago handshake for our cocktail today. I'm not going to do that. No offense to my Chicagoans if that's your jam though. I decided to dig into the history of the Cohasset Punch, a Chicago cocktail named after a Massachusetts town. Let's get into it. Cohasset Punch was created by a bartender named Marshall Williams, and it consists of one and a half ounces of dark rum, one ounce of sweet vermouth, the juice of half a lemon, half an ounce of syrup from a can of peaches, half ounce of Grand Marnier, two dashes of orange-flavored bitters. Then you fill a tall glass half full with shaved ice, pour in the rum, vermouth, the gum syrup, lemon juice, and bitters, stir, serve with preserved peach, and its liqueur. It honestly sounds delightful. So how did Mr. Williams come up with this, and why is it named after a town not affiliated with Chicago? Legend has it, Mr. Williams was bartending all summer at a Massachusetts estate for comedian William H. Crane. He created the concoction there, but brought the recipe back to Chicago with him on his return. Gohasset Punch became so popular in Chicago that it was sold in a bottle for around $2 a bottle but it's no longer available and bottled form. You either have to make it yourself or find a bar that still serves it. Williams kept the recipe a secret for years, but when he retired, he sold it to the Lardner Brothers Saloon on West Madison Street, who branded themselves the home of Cohasset Punch. So there we have it, the story of a Chicago cocktail named after a Massachusetts town. Welcome back. Chicago is known for its Art Deco inspired architecture and skyscrapers. One of my personal favorites is Marina City. It doesn't look Art Deco, but it's affectionately known as the corncob towers or the corncob buildings. They're twin towers that sit right on the north bank of the Chicago River. There's a matching east and west tower that was designed to be a city within a city by architect Bertrand Goldberg. The towers housed apartments, parking, a cinema, a barber, a laundry, a gym, bowling alley, ice rink, theater, stores, and restaurants and even its own marina to dock your boat right on the river. And literally anything one would need to reside there and never leave. It really sounded like a little slice of urban paradise. The towers are still in use today, and house residences as well as office space and parking. Chicago's House of Blues is also located there. They still look and sound like a lovely place to reside if you're going to live in the city. The West Tower anyways. The East Tower has had a problematic history. Before the tower was even completed, three construction workers fell to their deaths from the 43rd floor in 1961. Another construction worker fell and died in 1962 as well. There's been several residents commit suicide and others jumped from the balconies of the East Tower as well. In 1966, resident Roy Holland was found in his apartment three weeks after his death alongside his suicide notes. Sandra Easton jumped from her unit on the 52nd floor and went right through what was the roof of the ice rink in 1973. Another jumper was June Fleck, who launched herself from her fiancé's balcony in 1967. In 1969, a man who resided on the 46th floor shot his 88-year-old mother and then turned the gun on on himself. In 1972, the manager of the Marina City Theater, Gloria Kirkpatrick, was stabbed to death outside the building. She was also a resident with a home on the 19th floor. The reason for these steps and jumps is unknown. Some blame the design of the building because there are no angles inside the apartments. You just walk in and straight back is a huge glass window, like floor to ceiling glass window overlooking the river and lake. What is it? Like the call of the void that we get like overlooking a steep mountainside that just says, what if we jumped? Some are blaming it on that. Maybe it just became too much to walk into the to that vastness every single day for some people. But why did this only occur in the East Tower and not the West? Nobody has really figured that out either. But because of its sad and deathly past, many report seeing shadow figures and other apparitions, as well as having electronics malfunction and feeling cold drafts. Also for more tax, Marina City was featured in a movie that still scares the ever loving shit out of me. And that movie was the most recent Candyman. I still can't watch it and I love horror movies, The 1992 version just traumatized me too much as a child. (laughs) Also, Cabrini Green, featured in Candyman, was located in Chicago, too, but it has since been torn down. On Michigan Avenue, right across from Grant Park, stands the 14-story Congress Plaza Hotel. It's rather short in the Chicago skyline, but you can't miss it, with its square shape and bright red letters on the roof-reading Congress Hotel. The hotel opened in 1893, just in time for the World's Fair, and it's still operational today after several renovations throughout the years. It's still very grand and beautiful inside, but has been said to have an off or haunting empty feeling to it. The hotel has hosted many famous people throughout the years, including Al Capone, H.H. Holmes, my favorite murderer, and many U.S. presidents who would use the hotel as a Chicago campaign headquarters. Al Capone also used the hotel as a sort of headquarters for himself, too. And his ghost is rumored to still be spotted hanging around the hotel's bar and lobby. A homeless man called Peg Leg Johnny, because of his missing leg, was murdered in the alley behind the hotel. His ghost likes to turn lights on and off and has been spotted in several different rooms. Another tragedy at the hotel occurred during World War II. A soldier's wife brought her two sons to Chicago to wait on their father to return from war. They were to meet there and start a new life as a family in Chicago. He never returned. She became distraught and launched herself and her two boys out of a 12th floor window. Apparently one of the boys' bodies didn't make it to the city morgue for some reason, and he's apparently still hanging around the hotel and has just been spotted running up and down the hallways. The congress plaza hotel is also home to infamous room 441 which inspired stephen king to write a short story called 1408 about a hotel room that causes its occupants to commit suicide room 441 at the congress apparently makes more calls to security in the front desk than any other due to paranormal activity such as noises moving objects and the figure of a woman who kicks guests awake let's hop on over to prairie avenue which is now near soldier field Prairie Avenue was once home to the elites, the residential street is lined with Victorian mansions, but being beautiful and rich doesn't exempt anyone from tragedy. At their family home at 1919 South Prairie Avenue, Department Store owner Marshall Field's son died from a gunshot wound. Apparently accidental, his rifle went off as he was cleaning it. His spirit is still spotted at the Victorian home. Another house on Prairie Avenue is the Glessner House, which is now a museum. Guests have reported feeling cold spots and seeing something white move through the halls. It's believed to be architect Henry Hobson Richardson, who died before this project was completed. Another well-known haunted house in Chicago is the Jane Addams Whole House Museum, located on South Halsted Street. The house was originally a home for the sick and poor, then became a boarding house for new immigrants until they found secure employment in homes of their own. All was well at the whole house until a demon baby showed up out of nowhere. Yes, a demon baby, complete with hooves, horns, and a tail. It could also speak as an infant, you know, not very human-like of it. (laughs) Adams took it upon herself to raise this little devil and protect it from the public. And she did so until it just up and vanished one day. No one really knows if it left on its own accord or if it was taken or murdered by somebody else. The face of the demon baby is said to be spotted in the attic window by occasional passersby. There's also a lady in white spotted as well as three little girls who like to play by the fountain a demon baby (laughs) wild can a zoo be haunted of course it can if it were built over the top of the city's original cemetery And that's exactly where the Lincoln Park Zoo is located. The city moved the cemetery across town by exhuming bodies and moving headstones. However, they left thousands behind and built the zoo right on top. Visitors have reported hearing voices in the still standing barn and spotting people who looked to be dressed in clothes from the 1800s. The Lincoln Park neighborhood was also home to the St. Valentine's Day Massacre in 1929 where four unknown men dressed in Chicago PD uniforms lined up seven members of the Northside gang along a garage on Clark Street and shot them with machine guns. The garage has since been torn down, but people still report hearing screaming voices and machine gun sounds from the general vicinity along with seeing white mists. Another haunted street in Chicago is known as Death Alley, and this one's really pretty sad. In December 1903, 1700 patrons visited the brand new Iroquois Theater to watch a matinee. By the second act, a fire broke out on stage, believed to be due by faulty electrical wiring. The house was packed, every seat was sold out, so they sold standing room only tickets as well. The audience was literally in there, packed in like sardines, and mostly consisted of women and children. A stagehand tried to lower the curtain to contain the fire to the stage, but in that time the curtain was mostly made of an abestos product and went up in flames itself, as well as catching the canvas backdrops on fire. The stairs to the exit were closed off by iron gates, which were to be closed during performances to keep people with cheaper tickets from moving down to the good seats. Audience members ended up getting trampled by these gates as everyone tried to rush to the exits. The fire department came, but too late to do anything but put the flames out. The theater had no fire alarms or telephones. All they could do was put out the flames and extract the bodies afterwards. There were so many bodies, they ended up just stacking them in the alley behind the theater, hence why it became known as Death Alley. In this alley, wailing and screaming can still be heard, along with many apparitions. Let's wrap this one up today with a cemetery. Graceland Cemetery, located at 4001 North Clark Street, is absolutely beautiful and feels more park-like than creepy cemetery. It does have one particularly interesting grave, though, and that's the grave and headstone of Inez Clark. It's a statue of a little girl, presumably made to resemble Inez, enclosed in a glass case. It's very pretty. Striking, actually. When Inez was only six, she was on a picnic with her parents and died from being struck by lightning. When it storms, it's said that the sculpture of the little girl disappears, leaving only the glass case. But when the weather clears, the sculpture returns. There's also a ghost of a little girl that frolics through the cemetery that's believed to be Inez as well. There's also a mausoleum located in Graceland Cemetery where Ludwig Wolf is entombed. It's subtle nights of the full moon. The ghost of his pet wolfhound paces back and forth in front of it. The cemetery also boasts many more unique grave markers and mausoleums, and it's definitely worth taking a tour of it if you get the chance. So I'm going to close this one out now, but don't come for me about haunted chicago bars because i've came across some and i fully intend on including them in a haunted bars episode so very soon be on the lookout out for it probably by the end of this year but until next time guys check us out on instagram highly spirited podcast and we'll be back next week with the paper plane and some alien stories bye